welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on one of Jeff's former teammates from the Western Michigan Broncos, and he has played over 10 years professionally, lives up in small town Ontario right now as a hockey dad, Brent Walton. And this was an awesome conversation. Brent, in his days at Western Michigan, was one of the leading scorers in the NCAA. So we talk some good hockey talk. We also talk about the the struggles and, and trials and tribulations of trying to make it playing professional hockey as well. So this was a really, really fun episode. Jeff obviously has a lot of respect for Brent. Brent, a lot of respect for Jeff. So let's bring on the talent of the podcast. Podcast Jeffrey Lavecchio to start this baby off. Vex, what's going on here today, man? Yo, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where I was going with that when I said that, but I should have went there. My dad loved that commercial. Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm excited to have Wally on. He uh, he messaged me a few months ago and was like, "Hey, man, I've been listening to your podcast and it's really good." And I was like, "Thanks, buddy. Like, I appreciate that." And started talking and he's like, if you ever want me to come on, I was like, dude, of course I want you to come on. Like you have such an interesting story and being such a small guy. And back then when college hockey was football players on ice to be able to put up the numbers he did and, and have all the teams want him, And, you know, it was just uh, quite a bit different in the way that he lived his life outside the rink than I did. So it was, it was just interesting getting to talk to him, kind of how things went down for him after college and uh, in comparison to, to how, how my career went, your career went, everybody's. And, you know, for him to go over to England and finish his career there and, and hear the stories that he talked about with them bring flying him back there, Unbelievable. you know, there, there's a reason, like I wanted to have him on. Like, he's just such a good person. He was such a good teammate and uh, it was a fun one. Like what person, honestly, what person spends one year playing for a team and then they bring him back for like a Brent Walton night <laughs> in England. That's insane. Yeah. Hilarious. Like he's that, he's just that kind of guy. Like, man, he, he was the glue of the team, you know, a great locker room guy. And, uh, and then obviously super fun to watch play hockey. Cause he was, uh, he was like lightning in a bottle out there, just buzzing around and sniping. I love it. I love yeah. it. And uh, it's, it's funny. Like we got to talk about like, it's so many, every, it's one thing we talk about youth hockey players, like everybody's journey is different right? Like everybody has a different journey. And the three of us between our journeys is like so completely different and having the chance to kind of riff back and forth and talk about like, you know, some of the things we liked about our journeys, some of the things maybe looking back, we would have done differently. Um, it's just really good to kind of have some reflection. And I think it's good for like, you know, players that are coming up to hear some of the things that we did that we would have done differently or some of the things we did that helped us to succeed. And it just, uh, the more that we talk about the ups and the downs and the more that um, kids who are listening to this and parents who are listening to this can, can kind of like hear some of these stories, um, just that knowledge and, and expectation of what craziness the journey brings for everybody. I think it's just, it's good parent player education, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's really, it's hard when you have guys on who didn't play professionally in the, in the NHL professionally and make millions of dollars, you know, I, I want them to 
come on the podcast and talk about like, well, why do you think you didn't quote unquote, you know, make it like, cause our, all of our goals, especially when you're playing D1 is playing the NHL. And so, you know, we've, we have on the guys, you know, we've had on Stasny, we've had on talk, we've had on Martin St. Louis, not a big deal. Listen to those episodes if you haven't. Um, and I think it's really cool to have on guys who played pro, but maybe didn't, weren't able to make that last step and kind of look back and analyze like why, you know, what do you think, especially a guy like Brent Walton who put up 25 goals in college hockey on one of the last place teams in the CCHA. So um, it, it's kind of like a weird thing to ask, but I just asked him before, like, hey, are you okay talking about like, you know, things you would have done differently or things like that. And he was all for it. And I thought that was really cool. And, you know, he's just trying to give back to the next generation of kids trying to, you know, do follow in our footsteps, do what we did and play college hockey and beyond. Yeah. And he's a beauty too. <laughs> awesome guy entertainment wise to have on here too um Ab- it's absolute beauty i think the second half of the of the uh podcast he really loosened and started to uh start, started to you know be be more like the brent walton i know Got a little <laughs> emotional at the end there too yeah I, I feel like did you cry in that episode i think he cried twice i got close yeah 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 it's fun. I mean, you know, like you talk about our journeys and everything and, and, and how much you think about how much we put into it for however many years, 25 years. And, you know, it's, it is, you, you invest so much of yourself, your family invests so much into, into our journey that it does. You can't almost help but get emotional because some of the highs are really high and can make you emotional. <laughs> some of the lows are really low. <laughs> it can make you emotional. So just going through it. I mean, it's uh, when you, when you put everything you have into something, it just, you can't help it, you know? Agree. Agree, man. hundred percent. I love it. Yeah. And speaking of, like you mentioned, um, you mentioned some of the NHL guys that we've had on here. One of the NHL guys that we've had on here that I think we had like a really honest conversation about. And as you were kind of naming those guys off was Connor Carrick. When we had Connor Carrick on, like he was really, really open and candid about some of the ups and downs in his career and, uh, and how he got to where he is as a steady, you know, one way NHL defenseman right now. And so you mentioned those guys to go listen to. I think Connor's is one that you should go listen to as well. He's got a podcast of his own too. Um, That's really, really good. Yeah, Connor was unbelievable, and I've become pretty good friends with him now because we talk all the time after that, ask him advice, bounce ideas off each other. He's just a phenomenal guy. Yeah, I feel bad I forgot that one. And, and Butler. Butler, him still, too, yeah. you know, after winning the Stanley Cup, like the things that he said about coming up through hockey and, and the frills and like maybe the fancy things that everybody puts emphasis on that you don't actually need to focus on. I thought some of the honesty that he he – laid out with us was unbelievable so if you haven't heard those two episodes listen oh let's just do this go back to number one and then listen to every episode (laughs) and then you'll be happy (laughs) and jeff jeff says go back to listen to number one because that was his episode (laughs) his career (laughs) there you go there you go Oh, I love it. Well, this was a fun one, obviously. And uh, it's always fun to get a a former teammate on um, to kind of, you know, go back and forth with you miss those days for sure. Um, Before we do get over to Brent, um, one of the things that we're doing now that we have a new sponsor in icehockeysystems.com is we're going to go through a drill that we really enjoy doing. And uh, the one that I wanted to mention today um, is actually on our website, the hockeythinktank.com and ice hockey systems. They helped us to create a drill page on our website. And this is one that, you know, everybody, you know, Stan, my coach, my Russian coach growing up that I had for three years. Um, this was one that we did literally every 
if we didn't do it every practice, we did it every other practice. And it was three on three handball. So it was a cross ice three on three game, no sticks, no pucks. It was a soccer ball that you used and the game was all about give and go. So this, this drill is up on, uh, on our website at the hockey Like I said, ice hockey systems, they, they helped us create this page. And, uh, and so I do like a, uh, a diagram of it on a whiteboard. And then I actually have video from my team practicing doing it as well. And, uh, it's three on three handball. And the kicker is it's cross ice, but also you can only hold on to the ball for two seconds. So if you hold on the ball for longer than two seconds, I'm actually going to blow the whistle and it's a turnover to the other team. So it's all about like getting it, moving it, and then getting open, getting it, moving it, and then getting open. And it's doing it in like a fun way. And uh, it's been so, so fruitful for us, obviously growing up doing it all the time and the success that we had with Stan. And I've already seen when we've been able to do it with our team, um, how good it can be too. So um, have you ever done that drill or... I haven't, but, uh, but I love it. I love all any drills that are outside of the box. Like, and I think that those are more like, uh, a dessert, you know, obviously it's not like a drill you're doing all the time. You're there to play hockey, but like, I I like that. It makes you think differently, move differently without the puck. You know that I think you talked about what was the one you did last week? Was it the tire one where you go in and out of the tire? There's like tire goals set up. Yeah. You got to pass the puck in between the tires. Yeah. Like it just makes you think differently, think outside the box. And I remember like small area games, they weren't like a thing like they are now when we were coming up and we started playing those when I was in like, like the ones where it was like thinking outside the box type ones. When I started playing those, I literally started seeing the ice differently. Like those really helped me kind of think outside the box. And, and then I would bring that into different situations and they really helped me. And I know that there's some, some NHL uh, or guys on Twitter that I see talking about it. And they're like, Oh no, like the net should always be in the same place. And you know, all this stuff, but like, I love those things. And they really helped me in my hockey career personally, just to think differently, to look at the ice differently, not, not constantly think in this boxed, like boxed in mindset. And so, I don't know. I like all those drills. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is one. It was, uh, and it's just a little bit easier, right? It just puts a different frame on it. Um, cause you know, it's easier when there's no sticks defending you and a puck and you, <laughs> you got to go through a, a ton of different skills to be able to make plays. It's literally just a soccer ball in hands. So it's boom, get it, move it, get it moving. Stan was the kind of guy, like, you know, every coach has their thing that they get pissed off about when people don't do it. Stan's was when you pass the puck and then you don't move. And you just like watch the play. Like he would right. literally stop practice and make you do somersaults if, if you pass the puck and did not move. So this is just uh, with that rule, um, you know, of you go, you only get the ball for two seconds. It just really teaches you how much you have to move to support the puck. And uh, it takes, sometimes it takes teams a little bit to kind of get it and understand it. But once you do, and then you got guys that are, or girls that are, you know, getting it, moving it, moving, 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 moving all over the place. Like you'll see that they, they get it. And it's uh, it's an awesome drill. Would you, do you think it's smart to go from that into like right away, like cross, is that a cross ice drill or how does that, where's the setup? You can do it both ways. Yeah. You can do it uh, like that, or you can do like a pat, like a certain amount. Like once you get the, the ball, um, you got to make a certain amount of passes before you can shoot it. If you just have the net, you know, in it's regular spot, but usually we do a cross ice. So let's say, so you do that for cross ice, I don't know, five, six, eight minutes. Do you think it makes sense to go right into cross ice like real hockey so that you're kind of trying to like 
okay, you know how you just did a, pa- a give and go, a pass, and then you jumped in the hole? Well, now we're going to focus on that same thing, two on two, three on three, cross ice. Let me see those same things you just learned. Does that make sense to do that? Or yeah, not? I mean, it's a progression, right? You want to teach kids in progression. So, you know, you can even do it from, you know, doing it with a ball to doing it where maybe one team has two guys that have their sticks upside down or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a progression you can do for sure, I think. I like it. I like so, it. Man. Um, okay. So icehockeysystems.com, new sponsor for the podcast. We also cool. want to thank our title sponsor, the guys who've been with us forever in gel sticks. And obviously it's holiday season coming up right now. And these things are incredible. And Jeff uses them in the gym. Uh, they have NHL teams using them. The NTDP uses them. Uh, head on over to gelsticks, G-E-L-S-T-X.com. Use the discount code think tank one word to get a discount on all your weighted training sticks. Jeff, train heroic. Yeah. I just want to thank train heroic. One of our other sponsors here. That's where all my, uh, my online training is for hockey players and for people just wanting to get in shape. So, Big thanks to Train Heroic. We love them. And uh, wanted to plug my own company here too, since uh, like Toph said, holidays are coming around here. Uh, if anybody's looking for some GMBM gear, some Give More, Be More gear, you can go to humblehockey.com and then shop uh, uh, GMBM and uh, check it out there. This podcast is dropping on Monday until tomorrow when this is out because Black Friday apparently isn't only on Friday now. It's like a week-long thing. So uh, <laughs> so me and the guys at Humble, my my whole uh, clothing line, GMBM, will be 30% off with the code HOLIDAY30 until Tuesday. So Black Friday, actually Black Week, apparently. I don't know. But when this podcast comes out, you'll have uh, two days to keep 30% off on uh, all my GMBM stuff. Nice. I like yeah. it. I like yeah. it. Please, listeners, Get the GMBM hoodie with the Instagram <laughs> blue check mark. It's phenomenal. <laughs> you can't see it right now, but Vex is actually wearing it. And uh, <laughs> so good. Uh, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for continuing to support what we do. Uh, we have an absolute blast doing this. Jeff and I talk about it. It's the best part of our week being able to get on here and, and, uh, and talk some hockey with some really, really cool hockey people. And if you can, Please continue to help share us uh, on social media, uh, share us, um, you know, with your parent groups and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you can shoot us a rating and a review on Apple podcast and, and iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, that actually does a lot. Like the more podcasts I listen to, the more people actually like say that we're like, Hey, please give us ratings and reviews. It just, you know, we have a ton already. Like we obviously have a ton and, and, you know, I think people obviously think of us as a, as a legitimate podcast, but just the more ratings and reviews that we get, um, first of all, it's good feedback for us. You know, we're always looking to get better and, and we're looking for ways to make, make our podcast, you know, the best hockey podcast in the world. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so anything that you're, you're giving to us, we really appreciate the feedback because we want to get better. Um, but also just the more shares, the more ratings, the more reviews that people see that don't know who we are yet. They see all those ratings and they see all those reviews. And they're like, oh, this is, this is a pretty legit podcast. So let's, uh, let's give it a shot. So we would really appreciate that. Uh, you guys are going to love this conversation with Brent Walton. We so appreciate all your support. And uh, without further ado, Let's head it on over to Brent Walton. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast from small town, Ontario, Brent Walton. Brent, how are we doing today, man? 
Good. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited. Phenomenal. <laughs> oh, Jeff, do you want I'm to phenomenal. expand on that or what? I mean, we got Brent Walton on here. Guy was unbelievable goal scorer in the CCHA. My roommate on the road at the end of my college uh, freshman year and somebody I always looked up to and, and always kept the room light, even though he was our best player. It was it's an honor and I'm excited to have Wally on here. <laughs> there we go. High praise. I like it. Well, uh, well, Wally, you know, the way we start off most of our podcasts is we kind of try to take it way back. So uh, I grew up in a small town, Elmira, home yeah. of the Elmira Sugar Kings. Um, so talk to us a little bit about how you fell in love with the great game of hockey up there and, and uh, maybe who some of your influences were up there uh, that helped you to really grasp the game. Um, yeah. So I started out Elmira as a town. We'd play as a township, Woolwich Township, which would include St. Jacobs, the neighboring town, and a, f- a couple other because it's a Mennonite community. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, my novice hockey team will be the best hockey team Elmira will ever put together. And uh, from one single A small town Ontario team, we had um, Dennis Weidman play in the NHL. Um, and the OHL. Rodney Bauman played in the OHL for the Ottawa 67s um, and I won a Memorial Cup. And then uh, we also had three Division I scholarships, including myself, um, one to St. Lawrence, Adam Hogg, and Andrew Lackner went to Niagara. So the five of us uh, kind of came up in hockey together. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, we won all Ontario's, I guess you'd so say how, for so, single So how does that happen? Like, how do you get like, obviously small town, you know, you get five guys from one team that end up, you know, getting to that spot. Was it just, did you guys have an awesome coach? Like, what was it about your upbringing? Like in that kind of way that allowed you guys to, to be so good? Um, honestly, it's really the only age group it's ever happened to. So I don't know if it's, uh, like the organization or anything like that it was uh i think it was our group of friends really growing up together those were my closest friends um we would battle with each other and uh you know it was take no prisoners all the time and uh then actually uh four of us went to triple a in guelph so then that kind of split up the small town um the band so uh But yeah, I don't know how it happened. My old man was the coach, the first minor and major novice, and he didn't know anything about hockey. The only reason I got into hockey was because all their friends were putting their kids in hockey. Uh, My dad only played one year because his parents lived on the farm and uh, wouldn't drive him to practices or games. So the one year he played, he had to hitchhike. (laughs) Come on. What? Yeah, yeah, in Thornbury, Ontario, out in the middle of the country. Yeah, yeah, the Waltons are... Yeah, we're we're country folk at heart. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> oh my god! So, what was it like when uh, we got a lot of youth hockey um, parents and and coaches and kids that listen to this? What was that kind of like making that transition, going from you know small town double A with your friends to going to Guelph, which isn't a huge town but it's bigger, um, um, has an OHL team and stuff. What what was that like? I would say the biggest adjustment for a kid is. Uh, when you've been in class with your teammates and then you're no longer their teammate and then you're driving to Guelph after school and they're all still playing hockey together at night in Elmira. Um, I would say that's hard for kids. Um, 
unless you want it, you know? So for me, I wanted it. I wanted to go to Guelph. If my parents asked, I was like, yes, I do. You know, even if it makes it awkward with my immediate friends at school. Um, so that's, yeah, I would say that would be the biggest adjustment. I see that type of thing all the time. Cause you know, as people listen, always listen to us know, like I train hockey players and at that, you know, that middle school, maybe your first year of high school or two, like you kind of have to start making decisions on what you're going to sacrifice. Like, are you going to sacrifice your friends? Are you going to sacrifice, you know, you might miss some dances. You're going to go out of town during parties, or do you want to sacrifice hockey and go do those things? Do you have any advice as somebody who played division one college hockey and lit it up scoring goals left and right and played pro hockey for a long time for, for the parents or for the kids who are ha- getting to that kind of that, that fork in the road. And it's like, do I, do I sacrifice this or I de- do I sacrifice that? Um, I actually had that really big decision because the guilt and, uh, you know, not playing with my friends. And then there were parents of the good players that wouldn't bring their kids to AAA. Um, until later on, until Bantam or so. Um, so it was Wee age, and the Guelph team was good enough, and we were set up to go to that Quebec tournament. Um, and for some reason at that age, I decided to go back and play with my friends one last year. And uh, when I did it, it wasn't, to me, I went back, <clears throat> um, you know, People would think you're not passing, um, but it was hard to pass because, you know, they couldn't keep up anymore. Um, It was too big of a separation and skill, right? So realistically, it wasn't a good experience. Um, It was much better to play with your peers and be challenged than uh, go back and, you know, really show them what you could do, but there was really no reason to do that. Um, But it was, I don't know, it was... uh, you know, you miss being part of that small town and, you know, you'd see them, they'd still be winning all Ontario and you're not part of it. But then when I went back, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't worth it in my opinion, but I think everybody has to make those decisions themselves because I learned from it. I learned that that wasn't what I wanted and I wanted to be with the best players and challenging myself. I feel like that's a really tough thing for kids and parents to navigate is like when to make that jump. You know, when, when is it, you know, because you, you think about like developing a passion for the game and you think about also like, that's really, really important, but then also you have to challenge yourself with players of the same or better ability if you want to get better as well. And I feel like that's just like a really kind of difficult conversation, especially in like different areas of Ontario or Western Canada or Chicago or St. Louis or New York, like wherever, because every place is different. Like when is it the right time? Like, when is it the right time to start making some of those familial sacrifices, the costs and the travel and the three nights a week practice instead of two nights a week practice and, and like the craziness that comes with AAA? It just that that's that's one that I don't I, I don't know the right answer to. And maybe there isn't a right answer. It's it's a preference based upon a family. But, you know, you go both ways. Right. Like you want to get better. So you want to, you know play with the best players and challenge yourself. But at the same time, you don't want it to be so crazy at nine years old where it's a professional sport, you know, it's just, it's hard for me to reconcile. And I don't know what the right answer to that is. Um, I would say 
a lot of it depends too on your geographic location. Where I'm living now in Concordia, Ontario, beautiful town on the water, um, but it's a rural town, farming community, and we got a nuclear power plant in the area. Um, but if my son wants to play AAA, just to get to a practice is going to be over an hour. And then you still got to play all the AAA teams like down by Toronto, which are hours away. They're playing on weeknights. And I just don't understand how it would even work living where we do. Crazy that's stuff, so, man. That's so tough. I had so many kids coming to St. Louis when I was younger that lived in like Peoria, Illinois. They would drive two and a half to three hours to practice two to three nights a week. And then wherever we were playing on the weekend, which was usually Chicago or Detroit, which, you know, that's even further that they would then have to drive on the weekends. Like it's so crazy. Uh, I'm wondering like the more I see that type of stuff, I think it makes more sense. Maybe kids go into like an Academy or something to where it would make it easier on their parents where they're not driving all day, every day, sitting in a car hours after hours after hours. I don't know. At the same time though, like, <laughs> at what age as a parent are you willing to give your kid up? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. You totally. know, like I, I, that'd be now that I have kids, it, it, that's, that's a, that's a tough one. And, and like, I just, there's so many variables, right? There's, there's so many variables that go into it. I mean, you know, academies too. what's the cost of the Academy. It's just, uh, there's, there's not a perfect answer for anybody. If you can have a high level team right around you and, and, you know, have it still have a local flavor and all that kind of stuff, man, you've hit the jackpot, <laughs> but I don't know how many people nowadays with the way the youth hockey culture landscape can actually say that. Well, and that, that is how I grew up was triple uh, a was 30 minutes away instead of right in my hometown. And uh, then from there, I made my hometown junior B sugar Kings played there three seasons. We won the Sutherland cup I got my scholarship and off I went to university and I got to live with my parents right up until then. That's Pretty nice. I, I, I was the same way. I grew up in Chicago, got to play junior hockey in, in Chicago. I didn't have to leave home until I, I went to university. So hit the jackpot on that one. So let's talk about that because you played with the one Jeff Lavecchio at Western Michigan university. So uh, talk to us a little bit about your experience there and, and coming from a small town and then going to university. Was that a pretty big, uh, pretty big jump for you? Yeah, it was. Um, when you've only been playing in your hometown and you've only been playing for the junior team, you grew up watching. Um, yeah. My eyes really opened when I went to Western Michigan on that visit. Um <laughs> just to see the bands playing all the students, like the atmosphere, it was, they were playing Michigan and they were Western was also ranked in the top 10 back when I signed, you know, we had our struggles while I was there, but when I was recruited, we were really good. Um, <laughs> um, but anyways, um, where was Where was I? There? <laughs> I got off topic. <laughs> I, I hate, I hate losing and we lost for a few years there. So <laughs> just talking about going to Western and, and how, yeah. Was so, um, um, I broke my thumb my second year at junior. So that gave me the opportunity to actually go on visits during the hockey season. Um, the two teams that were hot on my tail, my second year before I'd really come into my own before, um, I, yeah, kind of grown up a bit as a hockey player. Um, I went to Northeastern. They weren't offering a full scholarship. 
But when I went there and I was downtown Boston and there's trains and I'm from a small Mennonite town, like my parents drove down to see what it was like too. But as soon as they saw me downtown Boston, they knew I was like a fish out of water. Like I just, I mean, it's just too much of like a country boy to be down there. And then I went to Western Michigan, Kalamazoo, and it just fit, like, you know, with um, Brooksy being from Ontario as the coach. I know you guys know Chris. Um, and then they really wanted me. Right. So when a team really, really wants you, that makes it really appealing. And they were top 10 in the country. So it was no doubter for me to go to Western Michigan. Um, but we did struggle. Um, we did not win a playoff series in my four years. Um, no, and we didn't, year, didn't we? No. No. Yeah, yeah. Didn't we win against? Lake oh, like a pre one, not like a real one. I like, thought we beat Lake State in Lake State, and then we went to Miami of Ohio, and then we lost in Miami. Right. If that counts, like that was like that was like a new thing to do a playoff to get to the playoff, right? Oh, was <laughs> it? it? That was a playoff. Yeah, it used remember. to be like four would play seven or whatever it was, and then all of a sudden they had like a the losers are going to play each other to get to the. Right. It used to be you won your playoff series. You went to the Joe and uh, that year you had to win a playoff series because we had finished low to win another series to get to the Joe. So I never played at the Joe, I guess, is what I'm getting at gotcha. in the final four or whatever it is. But yeah, it was a struggle, you know, but um, I the coaches were great to me. They uh, gave me every opportunity to succeed, um, you know. I know Vax knows when there is a power play. I think there was a point where nobody else was allowed to shoot if it was a five on three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like just keep passing it to him and I just keep shooting. <laughs> yeah. How, Do you remember that? How was your transition from juniors to college, Wally? Because I mean you, you the game is obviously quite a bit different than when we were playing college hockey, but you know, you're what I would call an undersized guy. But I didn't, I didn't know what a reverse hit was until I got to college and I watched you throw 10 a game and just bundle massive <laughs> football players on skates that were college hockey defensemen back then. And, and so how was your transition as a smaller, you know, a skill guy going into college? Um, I actually thought about this before we did the podcast. Um, every league I was in, it took me th- three years to figure out, right? college or junior took me three years and uh then I broke the scoring record you know for the team and then junior my or sorry college my third year I was fourth in the NCAA in scoring and then in pro my third year was by far my best year before my knee injury so it kind of took me it took me three seasons to really come into my own in every league um but that first year, that first freshman awakening when you get there and like our, my freshman year, the seniors going out were all recruits from the previous coach and they were all big, like m- big guys. They were they weren't skilled players, really, you could say. Um, so and Colhane was um, promoting fighting and practice. So, yeah, it was an interesting start to college. I remember fighting one of the big defensemen. Um, he could have really beat me up badly, but he was nice, you know, <laughs> consider he's my teammate. Uh, but, yeah, no, it was a very strange, and I remember the 
one of the first workouts actually has always stuck with me. We were out at the football field and uh, we're doing one of those college workouts, right? Where they're testing you to see if you can make it through, if you're going to quit or not. And uh, we were in the final part of it. And one of the seniors, Sean Rose, looks over at me and he goes, hey, Wally, do you still want to be a college hockey player? (laughs) And I remember thinking, I was like, I had no idea it was going to be like this. So but I always could get through them. <laughs> so, so like looking back, do you wish that somebody would have prepared you more like going to college, like playing juniors, like, you know, should your coaches have done a better job being like, Hey, like you need to work out or, or, or not even just working out, just kind of mindset things going into college. Like that's pretty much what our whole podcast is geared towards <laughs> helping people learn the things that we and our guests didn't learn until you know we were already at college we are already in pro we are already overseas like things like that like do you think coaches have an onus to do that sort of thing um to be honest this is really gonna date me but uh the way my junior team ran there's no way it's like that anymore um like there wouldn't be team workouts there there wouldn't be any um we would have to jog down the road one block to the high school track and run two laps and then run back. And that was the team workout and <laughs> half the captains and all the old boys, right. They're not even doing it right. They're 20 years old and junior B and uh, they just, they would do a lap and head on back. And uh, that was how I grew up was that was, that was how it was. Right. There was, there was no, team workouts it was you showed up for practice monday and wednesday and you played on fridays and sundays that's that's interesting man so like it's so funny because it's something so i do a bunch of team building stuff and and i always tell the story every time i do it um and and like the lesson to it is kind of like there's always somebody working harder than you you know if you're a competitive person you want to get to the next level you want to be the best like there's you got to know that there's somebody else that's working harder than you that has that same goal and aspiration. And, and like, as a smaller player, like yourself, you probably, you probably got me by a few inches even. (laughs) Um, But like, we had to be the hardest worker. Like we had to, because, you know, at the time that we were growing up, size was a very big fact. I mean, it still is, but like size at the time was, you, you mentioned that team, it was all big boys. <laughs> um, and so like we pride ourselves. So we always kind of thought, oh, I'm the hardest worker. I'm the hardest worker. I'm the hardest worker. No, you're the hardest l- worker that you know. You're the hardest worker at the level that you're at right now. And I had a similar experience to you when I first got to Cornell. Um, first day on campus, our, our captain, who's a junior, Matt Molson, good Ontario boy, um, scored 30 goals, three years in, in a row in the NHL. Um, like he came up to me first day, Hey, meet me at the football field tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. And I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> He's like, yeah, meet me at the football field, eight o'clock tomorrow morning. I'm like, you sure? <laughs> He's like, yeah. So like I went with him, it was just the two of us. And he put me through one of the hardest workouts I've ever been in. And he's like, not even dripping a sweat. I mean, he was working hard, but like, it was nothing to him. And for me who prides myself on working hard, who had been the hardest worker on my junior team before that, at least probably up there, like there was still a whole different level that I had no idea what it was. And like, from that moment on, I, I just, it was a great lesson for me because like, if you're a competitive person and you have an understanding that there are so many other people out there who 
are probably working harder than you are. It just motivates you even more to, to work and work and work and work. And, uh, you know, I think the, the players that have that understanding, they can really give themselves a leg up, you know, because their, their competitive spirit is really coming out. Um, yeah, for me, competition is everything. Like when I get into something competitive, I'm, I usually going to win. It doesn't really matter what it is. Right. And, uh, that kind of is why my professional life now has gone well is because if I don't know how to do something, I want to figure out how to do it. And yeah, um, it's, uh, working hard is, uh, it's weird because I would always be the hardest worker on the ice, but I, I couldn't, I guess nobody taught me the relation between everything off the ice and working hard on the ice, right? That people weren't relating diet the way they do now when I was coming up. I was a senior playing with Vex and he was teaching me what the hell a carb was and all that right (laughs) like I was like I'd had my mom cooking for me until I moved to college and then you live in the dorms and man the food there is just not what people should be eating but that's (laughs) what I put in my body for two years and you know me and Reed Yahtzee's bodies didn't look that good anymore after the two years the doors because we weren't eating the right food and we weren't really getting instructed what to do but man we were living (laughs) Uh, but uh, like we we weren't putting it together and then you know as you get older and you start figuring it out but yeah it's just interesting how much it's changed and now like even when I was still playing pro at the end you know I'd walk into the room with a foam roller and then these guys walk in with a foam roller a protein shake uh some other kind of vitamin, some other, you know, and then they got the cold tub and I was like, geez, man, I thought we were just practicing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I, when I came in, I remember walking in the locker room on the first days and seeing the boys with their shirts off. And I was like, where am I? Like <laughs> half the teams looks like football players. Half the team looks like, I, I don't know, chess players. And I was just like, <laughs> What what is happening? But then you see describe Wally the, on the body ice. type of a chess player. I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't want to throw Wally under the bus, but basically a bag of milk. I mean, that's what we described a couple so, of the guys' so, bodies on the team. So, so this is actually I, I I really should talk. I know you don't like self-deprecating humor, Jeff, but I didn't say this. So we're talking to my my coach from pro in Denmark. We want the championship together. Hadn't talked for four or so years. And then one of his buddies in town here and we start talking and he gave him the scouting report of when he signed me after Germany of what Brett Walton is at professional hockey. (laughs) His scouting report was great person, great teammate, silky mitts, body like a milk bag <laughs> <laughs> they still signed you though but i'm telling you it's a body type issue i mean like vex has like six four six five to work with here like i i mean it you look at my old man it's a body type issue <laughs> I, I can relate i can relate <laughs> <laughs> but but what's crazy is 
you know, I look back and like Wally said, like one of the hardest workers on the ice, like, and the guy could just flat out like score. Like it was, it was crazy. And, you know, guys had come to hit him and he would literally just, he was so good at reverse shouldering. And I had never seen that. It, w- it wasn't a thing really in juniors when I was coming to the USHL and I got to college, I had never seen anyone do it. And he literally would do it multiple times a game. Like he loved hanging on to the puck. He'd be down in the corner, spinning, moving, juking. And he'd want a guy to come hit him. And right as they're about to hit him, they think they're going to blow him up. He would just duck down and explode into their chest with the shoulder while holding on to the puck. As they're falling, he spins off and takes it to the net and would score. Like it was, it was unbelievable. And, you know, I, was, I just look back on those, on those times and I'm just like, man, like I wish that I could have trained Wally. Like now, if I could have had Wally when he was 16, 17, 18, and I could train him, and, and not because you need to look jacked to be good at hockey. Like that's not, it's not the case. We've talked about that all the time. But like just do like functional training that would have just maybe maybe gotten you to that, that NHL contract after your senior year, you know, your junior year where you're absolutely lighting the doors off of, off of college hockey. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Looking back, do you, you obviously you wish, you know, everyone wishes I could have signed the NHL, but like, what do you, what, what do you think looking back? Are you like, you know, maybe I left some things on the table. Maybe I should have done some things differently. And I know it's not easy to ask or easy to talk about, but you know, I, I always say I, you never want to be that guy who's on the bar stool at 35 going, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. And that's why I live my life the way I do. So like, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, it was, uh, I guess I didn't realize how, you know, your first impression in pro, your first time they see you, how that really paints you, right? I didn't realize how, what in pro hockey, like how big these guys were, how in shape they were, how dedicated they were. I was with the Western Michigan boys and, you know, I was the top dog and it was pretty easy for me. Um, And then I showed up in Syracuse and you got a guy doing like MMA fighting on the heavy bag after practice, like throwing elbows and roundhouse kicks. And I'm like, where the hell am I? And then we play a game and there's like six people, like people fighting in the penalty boxes. It was, and I was like, huh. And I'm the little college free agent, right? And they're playing me on the fourth line with the fighter. And it was because my body was like a milk bag, right? And that's why they ne- I never did get a chance, really. Like, I, I started on the fourth line. I played a few games. I never really got any shifts with anybody. And then uh, and what had happened was they had guaranteed me an AHL contract if they had first chance assigning me come um, – July 1st um, if they could have first look at me right so first look at me was oh he's not in shape so we don't want him but they had guaranteed me the contract so then the next year I'm going back to an organization that doesn't even want me and uh, I was penciled in in the coast from the start but what I did was I like I realized what was out there and what I had to do I lost 25 pounds I finished 10th, I think, in Columbus training camps, conditioning camp, or the fitness test. Um, And then from there, um, they basically had put me with the guys that had just got drafted. I never even skated with any of the real players. They knew exactly what they were doing with me right from the start. Um, And then, 
you know, I learned from that, but that year we went to the finals in the coast. I got sent down to the coast after having over a point a game in the HL preseason, the coach then telling me this has nothing to do with how you're playing. This is only about contracts. So you're going to go down for two weeks, but when we call you up, you'll be on the top two lines, but you're not a third, fourth line player. So then I'm like, okay, so I go down there for two weeks and then I come back up and the guy that said he was hurt isn't hurt anymore. So then I'm back to the fourth line for one game and they say, well, you're not a third, fourth line player. So back to the coast. So that happens if someone gets hurt on your top two lines, you call someone up from the third line and then that's that. Right. So I realized that North America just wasn't going to work out because of that first initial taste. Right. Because our season ended, I thought I'd be going right away when I was still ready and then nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. We weren't skating, nothing like the team parties are happening and I don't think anything's happening. And then all of a sudden I get the call to go two and a half weeks after I've ever even skated since the season ended. And then I'm going into like the biggest tryout of my life. And I didn't even realize that. So um, I guess I wish I would have been more educated on diet and working out. And yes, I wish personally, I wish I would have met someone like you and been in that environment going into college. Cause my junior didn't teach me how to be a hockey player. It, well, it was living at home with my parents and hanging out with all my friends from my hometown. And I was the man and it was easy. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, I remember vividly Wally, like I, I remember the conversation. I, rem- I remember the room we were in, uh, I believe Miami of Ohio. And uh, we're sitting there talking before the game, like a pregame nap. And uh, well, first of all, let me tell you this till Wally had a hilarious pregame nap routine where he would strip down naked like Bruce Almighty, like throwing his clothes off. He'd be in the room naked, he'd clap his hands together, and he would naked, chubby body swan dive into the bed naked and just be like, time for a nap. It was, it was all time. This guy's the best teammate ever, just so funny. But after he did that, we're sitting there talking, and uh, I, I vividly remember this because I, I, t- I tell the story to guys all the time. And Wally's like, you know, I, I, I feel kind of weird. Like, we have to win this game tonight to stay alive, and I want my college career to keep going. But at the same time, like, if we lose, I think an NHL team's probably going to sign me in the next couple of days. And I remember being so happy for him. Like, I was just like, you know, no matter what happens, like, obviously I hope we win and we keep playing. But, like, dude, like – you're the first person I know it's going to sign an NHL deal. Like, this is so exciting. You know, I, I looked up to him and, and then I remember it not happening. And, and then hearing, you know, from the coaches the next year, you know, like teams just kind of dug into more of like your, your body basically. <laughs> and just hearing that you were like a little bit chubby. And, and like you said, like your first impression that it wasn't great from them. Uh, and, and that really hurt you. And I, I, literally I learned from that experience like so much I mean I was already into like training and like trying to do everything I could but then I was like man like I'm nowhere near as good as Wally like so for me how can I try and level up and like be the be the best me and and 
um, always put out that good first impression when I meet scouts, when I meet coaches, this or that, because I really wanted to learn from that. And I literally tell that story to guys all the time. I'm like, look, we had this guy who scored like, I don't even know how many scored your last year, but we were, you know, 11th place, 12th place team out of 12. And, and you had 25 plus goals, which is insane. We'd probably score 25. Goals. I just looked it up. 25. Yeah. And we probably scored like 1.1 goals a game. And Brent Walton had 1.1 <laughs> of those goals. So, you know, and then for you not to sign, I was just like, wow, like it's so much more to keep going in hockey than just what you do on the ice or just what you do off the ice, like just your personality. It's got to be kind of everything firing on all cylinders for you to keep going up to that next level. And everyone's going to hit, you know, kind of that, that stage where it's like, you kind of got to decide, like, how much do you want to put into this to reach whatever your personal goals are? And uh, yeah, man, it was, it was a big, a big turning point in my life seeing that happen to you and you still had an unbelievable career. I mean, what do you play 10, 10 years pro maybe more than that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And what was weird is, uh, like my junior year, I, I, like I was always not out of shape. Um, but what I did find the hardest to do was stay in shape through the season. Um, I could always do the diet in the off season. I could always, do no carbs, no dairy, you know, anything that swims, runs or flies and above ground vegetables, right? That would be my (laughs) summer routine. And uh, then as soon as I get to season, I'd be like, okay, I can relax again. I can like eat normal food again and be a normal person again. And then come Christmas, January, I would have put it back on. But again, like I said, that was before, like if teams weren't getting us to work out during the season, I had never grown up to work out during the season. Like once you start playing the games, then you're playing the games, right? You did your off season stuff, but um, that's the biggest thing is like, I didn't know, like I didn't know. And then like, I know you guys talk about it on this podcast cause I listened to it and like, I'm not throwing them under the bus, but like me, my roommates, you know, they, they weren't, aspiring NHL players (laughs) they they uh they were you know a couple of them realistically were mentally broke by the end of college they they were checked out um and I was living with them and it was it was a bad situation because I had everything to play for and our team wasn't winning and I got roommates that are checked out but I can't talk to them because you know our whole relationship through the years it was very difficult timing and uh but I figured it out and that's how you end up playing 10 years is I got my reality check the day I walked in the door in Syracuse and realized I wasn't where I needed to be and then that summer I fixed that and uh it was already too late for North America so then realistically I I got an offer in Germany when after all that with Syracuse and Columbus, they did offer me a contract the next year. So, you know, they, they offered me an AHL East coast deal. So I was like, well, I'm not, I don't want to make East coast money. So I went to Germany and in Germany, they want goal scorers. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're huge. It doesn't matter if you fight, they want you to score. If you're an import, if you're a North American, they want you to score. And I could do that. So then I fit in just fine there. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, hey, Wally, let me ask you this because 
like this is this is kind of me probably bringing my own insecurities into this conversation and you know Jeff you talk about being 35 year old 35 years old sitting at the bar stool you know wondering what might maybe could have been you know one of one of my biggest regrets in life is a similar situation to you what you know when you're talking about Syracuse so you know I got done with a pretty successful college career <laughs> no NHL team no AHL team came calling none of them and uh, you know here I am on top of the world getting an East coast one way deal. And I'm like, what is going on right now? You know? And then, you know, so I, I play that next year, my first year pro in the East coast league um, and in training camp and playing really well, first line power play, penalty kill, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the week goes by a couple guys get sent down from, from uh, Binghamton in the AHL. All of a sudden I'm playing on the second, third line, you know, maybe not as many minutes. And, you know, then the next wave of guys come down and now I'm playing on the, the third, fourth line. There isn't even four lines in, in the East coast league. So I'm like the ninth, 10th forward, you know, um, a- after two weeks before playing really well and playing on the first line and a couple months before, you know, being the captain of my college team. Um, and I got released like before the season even started. And so I went from the top of the mountain to, to just, you know, bottom of the barrel. And, you know, I, I remember sitting there just being like, I don't even know what's going on right now. And I was so dejected. I was so down and all I wanted to do, all I ever wanted to do is play hockey. Like, and, and so I was just like at, at the low point of, of my career. And then two, two teams ended up calling me. One was a team from the East coast league and one was a team from, uh, from the central hockey league and East coast league obviously has affiliations with the AHL and the NHL and stuff. So there was that up and down. And then the central league, there's, there's not really much of that. So you knew you were going to, where you were going to be. And I remember agonizing over that for like two or three days straight just absolutely agonizing over it because I knew if I go to the central league, my hockey career is over. Like my dream since I was five years old was to play in the NHL. Wow. I'm getting emotional talking about this right now. I haven't talked about this in a long time. It's like my dream growing up was to play in the NHL. And I knew if I decided to go play in the central hockey league, that was it. But maybe I would have enjoyed hockey and it would be on my own terms. And, and I ended up, signing with the central league. I was like, I don't want to deal with this crap anymore. I'm so anxious. I'm so stressed. It's not in my control. And I gave my dream up within two days of thinking about it after two decades of, of having, having a dream. So, you know, you mentioned you had that contract offer to stay and, and continue to possibly try and live that dream or to kind of, you know, go over to Europe and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go play hockey now and not worry about like, what was your thought process on that? Did you go through any of those high and low emotions when thinking about that? Because like, for me, again, it is a regret that I have because it was too, it was too I, I wasn't going to make the NHL. Like I'm five foot four and I wasn't that good. So it wasn't going to happen. But at least before that, you know, I, I sit here now and say, well, you know what? I didn't give it my all. Like I left something on the table. Did you, did you have any of those well, internal like, battles? For me, like, like Vex is saying he looked up to me and all that. When I grew up in Elmira, everybody, what you hear playing in Guelph is, well, you're too little. Like you are too little. You're not going to make it. Because back then it was the NHL was full of gigantic people. Thier and Fleury probably was the first person to really start changing it, right? Okay. And then it started to change a little bit. But by the when I went to pro, it was 
just, it was nuts out there. But the one thing I'd say about North American professional hockey is people think of the HL as, you know, a great league. It was, even my old man said this to me, it was the most unhappy he's ever seen me. Um, you get put in a different hotel room with a different player every couple weeks. Um, you got to eat out every meal cause you don't have a kitchen. Um, I go to a game, warm up, like I'm going to play. And then the Jersey's not there. So I'm not playing. Um, you know, you get put in a, with a roommate that is just so different than you that you, you know, it's hard to live that way when you, you got two beds right beside each other. Um, and then when it comes to the hockey side of it, I thought the AHL was the most selfish league I've ever played in. I thought every player you get a two on one, they're going to shoot. They don't, they want to score the goal. Um, they're in it for themselves. Maybe things have changed. I don't know. Cause I kind of removed myself other than now I'm coaching my son, but, um, basically the HL was, it wasn't for me and Vex knows me. I'm a team guy. When I did go to Germany, I fit in, you sign a contract for the year. You're there for the year. You're not going up and down. You're a team. You're going to either figure it out together or you're going to lose together. And uh, that was way more my personality than not being really on a team going up and down from the coast to wherever to traded to this guy's on your team this week. Now this guy's your new hotel roommate. He's got roids on the bathroom counter. You got this guy smoking dope on the bed. You know, it was, you, it was, I don't know. The lights aren't all that glamorous, I guess, in the AHL, I guess you'd say if, you know, if you're a team guy, that's what makes you happy. I was happier in Germany. It's funny you say that because, you know, I had a similar experience when I did go to the Central League. I'm, you know, I, I went to one situation was a little bit more kind of like that AHL mentality. And then I got traded to the guy you guys played for, Chris Brooks in Rio Grande, um, where it was like a ton of rookies and just guys that love playing hockey and love like being with the boys. And it was it was I mean, it was a fantastic experience. And, and I look at it even now as a coach, you know, coaching in college for six years. And there's certain kids that I coached that I'm like, pro hockey is going to be very hard for them. It's going to be very hard for them because they are like yourself, like all about the team, like all about the team. They're probably a, a bubble guy, whether it was East coast to AHL or AHL to NHL, you know, and I thought they would really, really struggle with that individual mindset. A lot of times that pro hockey brings to the culture of those teams. And, and I, it was pretty easy to peg the guys who, who were going to struggle with that. Um, and it is interesting how different it can be. I think a lot of it too, like it depends on the team you're on and, and the guys that you're around. And that's why I think drafting and scouting is the most important job that any professional team has, because you have to have players within your system that aren't, just going to try and do it themselves. Cause I had a similar experience when I first signed my contract, there was another five foot eight guy that literally would not pass me the puck, like would not pass me the puck in the coast. <laughs> like it could be a tap in backdoor goal and it was not coming to my stick. Um, so it is, it's just, it's such a different mindset and, and finding a way to enjoy it. It can be very difficult if that's not the way that you're wired for sure. Um, 
actually vex while we're on this podcast i want to bring this up because speaking of college our buddy sean weaver there may rest in peace i remember um my senior year camping trip he went around the fire before we hold on before we'd even been on the ice and he pegged every player exactly what type of player he was and how we played the game, what position he played all by hanging out with him for a weekend. That's crazy. I'll never forget that. And since that day, I look at hockey players differently, right? Like you watch the way their body moves, you watch their personality, the way they talk to people like you can pick out a kid that's a player really quick. And like now I've gotten into coaching my son's age group who are 2012s. Um, and then I've gotten to know the kids a year above them, a year below them. And like, you can pick out a player right away, but then you got to talk to him off the ice. You got to see him on the ice, you know, talk to him in line to see if he's actually a hockey player. Right. Um, but ever since Sean Weaver going around that fire, I've looked at it differently because I'm like, I know like when you get signed a new player, as soon as they walk in the room, I would think of Sean Weaver and I'd be like, I bet you he is a stay at home defenseman that just (laughs) gets it up the wall and, you know, gets the red line and dumps it in. And he's never going to give me a tape to tape pass ever. (laughs) That's a pretty easy guy to peg in the locker room though. Well, there's a few of them on every team because I always remember, I always wanted to pass all the tape because I don't like chasing the puck. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's probably other than a goalie, the stay at home D man who's off the glass it out he's probably <laughs> the easiest guy to peg walking in the room like you know that's really funny next time i go in a locker room where i don't know anybody i'm gonna literally look around the room and but just yeah. try and, who's what type of player who's the selfish guy who's the team guy who's the you know the funny guy who's the guy who pass everything never shoot the guy who shoot never pass that's really interesting. And it was all based on our personalities how we were hanging out how we were drinking and he went around like the fire, right? And then he gets to stretch and Daryl and Yahtzee and, you know, every, you know, it was pretty funny. And wow. then he just got, I remember he got to me because I was like, well, he said this about everybody. So what is he going to say about me? <laughs> and Crafty yeah. was right about everybody. Huh? Yeah, because he was right about everybody. And then he got to me and he just said, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, wow. I'll never forget that day, though. I want to, yeah, rest in peace, Weaves. What a great guy. What a great teammate. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I would love to go into your European professional career because we've had on tons of pros. We've had NHL Hall of Famers on this podcast. Not a big deal. Um, great college players, young young NHL, young AHL, young coast, uh, from everywhere. We haven't talked too much about guys going over to Europe and playing in Europe a lot. So why don't you tell our listeners what that was like. Cause I mean, I remember coming back my first couple of years from Europe and telling people who weren't really hockey people and they're like, Oh, do you, do you get paid to play over there? Like, is it, is it semi-pro? And I'm like, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah I'm being yeah. paid. Uh, and it's pro. Yes. So, uh, you know, where did you play? What, what were the differences in leagues, stuff like that? Um, it actually is amazing how much you get to know those leagues and the towns and 
everything about it when you're over there, right? I like it can sprechen ein bisschen Deutsch, aber ich vergessen ein bisschen because ich nicht arbeiten bei mein Deutsch for six years, you know? <laughs> so like wow. I can yeah, so so I can like I could I legit canceled my cable over the phone and internet one year strictly in German. Yeah. So I got to that point. I never took any classes. I just, uh, you know, learned from chatting. But uh, it's very strange what hockey's provided me and given me. Like, um, my son was born in Germany. My daughter was born in Wales. My wife is American and I'm Canadian. So it's a bit of a mixed bag of nuts around here. Um, but uh, it's all started when I had signed to play in the coast and I was going to go play in Florida because I wasn't playing in Dayton, Ohio again. So I was on my way there and uh, a friend of mine from my hometown, a guy I grew up with watching on the Sugar Kings, needed a winger in Germany. So they called me and asked and I said, no, I'm going to give North America another shot. And then I thought about it for two more weeks and I was like, well, that's more money. Um I'm going to the coast. That's really not that appealing. Um, Germany kind of freaks me out because I'm only like 23, but that would be a fresh start and a new way to start a career in hockey and like not have like, because growing up, I never thought I could make the NHL. Nobody ever told me I could. I never thought it was even close until it was. And then all of a sudden I'm playing at Western Michigan when my whole goal is to get a scholarship. All of a sudden I got NHL teams come to watch me and I'm like, well, this is boy, I never expected this. Right. So then when that didn't work out, I said, okay, well, I called Lisa who's supposed to go to Florida, my wife now. And I said, honey, um, I know you got your job transferred to Florida, but I think I need to go to Germany for my career. And she thought like for a second said, well, okay, when do we go? I said, well, that's good because I'm at Western Michigan skating with the team. Cause I was going to wherever. I'm going to head to the Detroit airport right now and fly out. So then um, flew to Landshut, Germany. Um, my first game was something I'll never forget. Uh, the first shift of the game. So I go out and there's literally people standing, chanting drums. Like it is a way better atmosphere. If North American fans think they cheer, you guys have no clue none you like you guys don't cheer you're the quietest people going so true <laughs> so the fans are going nuts for playing the first place team and the, my first shift my bucket pops off and i'm like oh i gotta show my team how tough i am and keep playing with no bucket well <laughs> international rules i get a penalty for playing with no helmet on <laughs> so then i get to the penalty box and the german guy says he goes so you must be the new guy <laughs> because <laughs> I, yeah, I was four games into the season and the first shift I took a penalty That's um, awesome. and then the same game I got a penalty shot and uh, the coach picked a different guy to take the shot because he didn't know me and apparently in Germany you could just pick whoever you want so I got the penalty shot and I never took the penalty and I was like wow this is a bizarre league right <laughs> um, but then the next game was a home game and uh my, I, you know, threw a couple of reverse hits, uh, played well. I don't think I scored a goal, but then the game ends, we're shaking hands, we're going off the ice. And then all the fans are chanting my name. And I'm like, 
look at my lineman. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And he goes, you have to go to center ice right now. He goes, come on, I'll go with you. Cause he had scored two goals. So they're chanting our names and we stand at center ice with our arms around each other and do the can can. And then the fans go crazy. Like where you kick your legs up in the air, right? Whatever. Like, and we do this thing. And then there'd be games where the whole team, if you want a big game, would do a train around the ice where you're grabbing the guy in front of your skates and you do like a snake around the ice. It was like, yeah. And then you'd finish a game, you know, there'd be a case of beer in the room and, you know, it was a whole different experience, but I went over there with trying to make a career of it. And the first year we went to the finals, we weren't supposed to. Um, and then I switched to a bigger money team in the same league that we had put out. Um, and then the next year we actually won it in Germany and what an experience. Unbelievable. Town Um, probably went bizarre, like just bonkers after you won, right? It was the first professional sport trophy for that province of Germany. So like Baden-Württemberg, it was their uh, first pro sports trophy, apparently. So we had a parade. It was, it was, yeah, it was like, I was really doing it. And then that was my, so I guess that was my third year professional, right? I had the one on the coast. We go to the finals and lose. We go to the finals in Germany and lose in game five of a best of five in overtime. So then that's two years I lose in the finals. And then the third year we win it in Germany. And then I really let my hair down because you know <laughs> the third time was the charm. And then after that, I never saw the playoffs again for like six years. Wow. But then I, we ended up winning in Denmark and uh, the UK um, in Cardiff. Um, so, um, it was quite the run though. Yeah. Like six years in Germany is a long time. And like, it's weird. Like it's like, we've lived two different lives. So you played six years in Germany and then you went to Denmark and then England. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, after Germany, we went to Denmark and, uh, I finished second in the league in scoring. We win the championship and, uh, I had heard, you know, around December, they're like, yeah, they're going to invest in Danish players next year. The equipment guys are saying that, you know, the imports are all going to replace you. They're going to get Danish guys in with more money. I'm like, well, what do you mean? What if I have a great season? And they're like, no, like they already decided. And uh, sure enough, we win the championship, win our gold helmets. I'm the second in the league in scoring. And I go in for my exit meeting and they're like, great season. Um, uh, Yeah, we're going to, uh, get Danish centermen and wingers, and we're going to invest in that. So, um, good luck. <laughs> was that Sondra Jiski? Yeah, yeah. So then yeah. after that, uh, I, you know, I was like dumbfounded, right? Because I had redeemed myself out of how I'd left it in Germany. And um, basically, the knee injury, I guess I never talked about that. That was the big, the big one in Europe. That was the, that was really. So after three years, so I went, uh, so the East coast Germany for two years. And then that's my best year of professional hockey. And like, I, I like Vex, you've seen me play. They was the best I've ever been playing hockey. I was by far the best I was playing. And, uh, we win the championship in Germany. I'm second league in scoring, um, getting offers in the first league. We're supposed to be going up, but then the team's losing money. So they decide not to go up. And then I I had signed the contract to stay there. And then the next year I blew out my PCL 
Um, so I had PCL reconstruction and, uh, I, yeah, I was never the same after that. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. I, w- I would love to talk about England real quick because it was always my goal once I decided to go to Europe to finish playing in the English uh, elite league because everyone that's played there that I know is like, it's the most fun you'll have in hockey. Now the, the league now is like, it's a really good, you know, it's a, it's a good league now. It's a legitimate league. There's like eight imports, 10 imports on every team. It used to be a lot of fighters. It used to be like a couple goal scorers and then a bunch of fighters. And now it's like really good players. Um, the money's getting better, you know, pre COVID the money was getting better year after year, but the fans there, are like the most passionate, crazy, intense fans I've ever seen. You're living in a country that speaks English. All the games are on TV. Like it's just, it's just like a really, really cool looking league. So I'd love to hear you talk about that and and talk about the uh, the school opportunity because that's something that you don't hear when you're coming out of college. Like the, most college hockey players, 99% of them or 98% of them aren't going to play in the NHL. But there are other opportunities out there to not only play hockey, but to further your schooling while playing hockey. So tell, uh, tell our listeners about England. Um, yeah, so you do sound quite North American calling it the English league because there is oh, yeah. Scotland, you know, Ireland, the Wales, you know, whatever. It's <laughs> figure it out, Zach. It's Sorry. the UK because okay. you know I was in Wales, and let me tell you, the Welsh are very proud. Um, but to be honest, it was my favorite year of hockey was playing in Car- for the Cardiff Devils. It was by far the happiest I've been the most fun I've had, but it was the coaching, the recruiting, the people on the team, the culture they had there. It was, we're going to give our players what they need to succeed. We're going to give them the sticks. We're going to give them the apartments. If, if the wives didn't like their apartment when they showed up, they would accommodate them because they would say happy wife, happy life. And you're not going to play hockey. Well, if you're not happy, when you're happy, you play hockey better. And that is a fact. (laughs) Um, The happier you are, the better you're going to play hockey. And they understood that and they took care of people. Um, So the way it worked was after that year in Denmark, when I didn't get asked back, um, I had an agent, wasn't doing much. Um, He kept saying, oh, there might be something here. There might be something there. Well, I got a toddler and one on the way. And I just finished second in the Danish league and scoring. And you're telling me there might be something coming when we just won the championship. Like I'm not a bad seed. Like I know I got a body like a milk bag, but I can score. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyways, I did it myself. I sent out a mass email type thing to all the uh, UK teams that I had heard from my coach in Denmark, who he said, he'd give me a reference wherever I wanted to go, you know, he wanted to help me, but he was, you know, I don't think it was his call to not have me back. Um, but anyways, he told me which teams to go to. So I go to Cardiff and man, I tell you what a spot, like it was, we had a group of kind of misfits, right. Kind of like me, but we had so much fun and we had about five guys that could fight. Um, but yeah, it was a very busy year. I had, uh, Like I said, I had Colby, who's now going to be eight, coming up in a week here. Zoe was born that year in Cardiff. I played 75 games and did my MBA in a year. Um, 
Yeah. So it was a busy year. Like really busy. And the team paid for your MBA, correct? So yeah, they, they, what it is, is they have a deal with the school that they kind of waive the, the fee. Um, and then they, they had three placements that year. So it was me and two other teammates. So I had that worked into my contract and I did it all myself. And then just let the agent know like, Hey buddy, your services are no longer needed. I can do this myself. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I got the MBA paid for and it was a life changer. Absolutely changed my life because I wanted to put down roots after hockey where my kids knew where home was. They knew where they were going and this is home. Um, so I picked Concord in Ontario and I had a goal and I've, I've ended up starting to work at a great company here that have taken very good care of me. But if it wasn't for the MBA, I mean, that just gets your foot in the door. Right. Um, and if it wasn't for the UK league and them having that opportunity, I would have had a Western Michigan degree that was 10 years old. Um, and had never used it with no work experience. Instead, I had an MBA, right? It's uh, a different appeal, I think. Very cool. Tolf and I always talk on this podcast, like hockey can take you to some pretty cool places. You can meet some some unbelievable networking through hockey. I mean, you've talked about in the, in the pre-show when we were talking about meeting business people in your new hometown when you settled there that were avid hockey fans and, you know, hockey coaches and players and that kind of helped to, to, to get you situated in your new city. Like there's so many important things that we can learn from the game and so many important opportunities you can take advantage of. And you certainly did that. You saw the world, you got paid, you played pro hockey, you got an NBA, you know, you're not a milk bag anymore. It sounds like things are going well, bro. Um, yeah, yeah, no, things are going good. It is, uh, it is very hard though. When you've been a professional hockey player and that's your identity, like Vex, you're still in the game, man. You're still living it. So are you, Toph. Like you guys didn't just, like when I first came back and that was my whole life, like I couldn't even watch a hockey game on TV. It would just make me sick, right? Because I'd miss it so much. Or like, oh, Canada would play for the Leafs game and you'd see all those guys standing there during oh, Canada. And you're like, I'm never going to have that feeling again, right? Like it, it's very hard. And then you just you go to work right for 40 hours a week and, um, and you do it and then you go home and then you wake up and you do it again. And it's not like I have a game tonight. Like I'm going to play that game. It's, you know, I never felt like I worked a day in my life until I started working. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, the proudest moment I would say, you know, there, you know, winning in the UK, Denmark and Germany was awesome. And then in juniors, like those are the moments you remember in hockey. But then uh, the Cardiff Devils, they brought me back uh, four years later. So I've been, you know, slugging away in the real world. You know, I'm not slugging away. I have a great setup now. I'm <laughs> engineering supervisor of a great company, a great people at Superheat here in Concordia. Um, but uh the Cardiff Devils, the fans put up enough of a stink <laughs> and the team and the coach and the GM, they decided to have a Wally night <laughs> four years later. Um, so I was the first player ever invited back from a UK team. Um, and uh, the weird part is I played there one season 
And then I signed for another season where I wouldn't be doing my MBA and I just have fun and get to be a hockey player again and enjoy being with my kids before we'd shut her down. Uh, but I got hurt in October. So my career was over. The doctors say it's all over. And uh, the devils, I had my house rented out here in Canada. I had nowhere to go because hockey's over. I think I'm there for the year and it's only October. And this, I go, I call the GM. I'm like, let's go for a beer. Like the doctor's saying I'm done. This is about November now, December. I've been trying to make a comeback. And he says, well, I'm not going to ask you to go. He goes, I've never been in this situation before. He goes, but I might have you help me in the office a bit. Right. And you know, that could help you transition, you know, to the real world. And I said, Hey, I'll do whatever you want. So I would, uh, you know, take out the sponsors before games. I would help with the match night stuff. I, when they would call to sell tickets, I was selling tickets. I would do whatever it took. Um, and then I even took the fan bus to a few games. Um, cause I started being the pregame speaker. They just loved you. I bet. Oh my God. Uh, it's so, yeah, no, I had a Wally night and four years later I went out on a red carpet and, uh, they had a video tribute with my wife, my kids. It was, uh, you know, for a guy that made the decision to leave the game for his kids, it was pretty nice to, uh, to have that. Fuck, man, you're making me emotional over here, Wally. That's so cool, man. Like, Tove can't explain to you what a good teammate, what a good guy Brent Walton is, and obviously for, for a – a European team to bring back a, a guy who only played there for a year. That's, that's insane, uh, man. That's pretty that's unreal. Insane, that's so cool. Special. Well, yeah. So then like I'm leaving town and the GM sends me an email. Uh, so like <laughs> they didn't just do everything for me. I, when I was over there, I decided, you know, you can't do everything for Wally and then, you know, not get paid back. So I tried to promote, they had a standing section. They were trying to make it more like the European leagues, you know, Vax, where there'd be like a standing section of fans with. So, uh, yeah, the night of Wally night, uh, I uh, took off the jersey they gave me, grabbed a really big flag in the stands and uh, waved her for the crowd. (laughs) 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 Topless, you know. Flying. This was this was after I dropped the puck on the red carpet and everything. Yeah, because they had asked me to do one more pregame speech, so I was I was spray painted because um, I had to do a really good pregame speech. Because realistically, you know how it is, Vex. Whatever you do, you want to be the best at it, and really? I want to be the best at everything I do. I'm the same at work now. I'm the same when I was playing hockey. We've discussed how much I didn't understand conditioning meant to being the best. But when I was on the ice, I was trying to be the best. And then when I was a pregame speaker, I tried to be the best. And let me tell you, there's stories of me in Wales that uh, will be carried on for uh, decades to come. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Amazing. Uh, Yeah, there's a few guys that saw that pregame speech coming four years later that, uh, yeah, there's only about eight guys left on the team that uh, I had played with, but it's sad, man. Like when you talk about the UK league, like you're right, that league was becoming huge. It was becoming an attraction. A lot of people wanted to go there and it made life so much simpler when people spoke English and it didn't feel so far from home when people were speaking English and your parents could come over and converse with all the fans and enjoy the game. And then the fans could talk to them and, tell you about their son right and like 
playing in the UK was so much more fun than uh, I thought than Germany, in my opinion. But that was, I was at that stage where I wasn't trying to make a lot of money and I knew it was coming to an end when I went there. And actually when I started with Cardiff, I was like a third line player and I was like, what am I doing on the third line? Right. But I had gotten better at defense and my knee was hurting and I was like, yeah, I can play third line. And then I started scoring and I just stopped worrying about points and I just wanted to help the team win. Cause I was at that point in my career where you just want to win and you realize that's all that matters. If you win the contracts, take care of themselves. It doesn't matter how many goals or assists you score. If you win, if you're in that culture where you win, that's what gets you paid and that's what gets you contracts and that's what gets you to the next level. Being on losing teams is not fun for anybody. It's not fun for your livelihood. It's, it, I went through a few of those years and it, it changes the taste of food. It changes everything. God, isn't that the truth? My so God. true. But so playing true. at Western Michigan, we learned that. <laughs> well, the thing was, the problem was with that culture when we were at Western Michigan was come our third yeah your first year or my junior and senior year like losing was okay right like we were okay with it we would lose and then we'd still want to go out at night right like the guys still want to go out and I'd be like and that was you know it is you know it was a tough culture by the end of it but uh, speaking of, I forgot this part. This was a funny story. We probably got to be about done, eh? Yeah. Yeah. No, this, the, my first professional hockey practice. When I left Western Michigan, I went to Syracuse, and they played D-zone coverage against Andy Delmore. And I'm the winger on Andy Delmore, who had just scored 30 goals in the show like two years before. He starts skating all over the place, right? Because if it goes outside the blue line, the drill's over. So he's skating everywhere. And I had left Western Michigan playing man on man. I chased him everywhere, (laughs) (laughs) everywhere. And the coach blows the whistle down and goes, Wally, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, oh, do do we not play man on man here? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, welcome to pro, Wally. (laughs) I had a similar situation to that. It was actually in a game. We were playing against Cincinnati. I was in Elmira at the time and uh, it was like fan appreciation night. So it was packed like 10,000 people in that arena. And uh, so I'm taking a face off against David DeHarnay. You guys remember him? Yeah. Played a yeah. smaller guy, you know, played however many games in the show. And, and uh, so it's a four on four situation and four on four. What we used to play at in college was if you lost the draws of center, you went out to the D and you took him. Well, the way that they played it in, uh, um, and Elmira was, you, you're supposed to stay with your center. So I lose the draw. I go out to that defenseman. Our other defenseman goes out to that defenseman. It leaves David DeHarnay, who I think was the MVP of the league that year. Literally nobody within 95 feet of him in front of the net against our goalie. Just looking like I come back to the bench and the coach is like, what are you doing? I'm like, what am I supposed to do? He's like, yeah, stay with the set. Oh, okay. Bobby. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I feel your pain, man. I feel your pain. (laughs) I tell you, it's your first impressions and uh, sometimes what you've learned growing up, uh, you need the right coaching. And um, I've already told Vex this, if my son, like he's showing signs of being quite coordinated and an athlete, to put it lightly. um, I like if he was good at hockey and he becomes a teenager, I'm going to Vex. Like, 
dad ain't teaching this because you know i didn't <laughs> learn so <laughs> vex can whip him into shape get a new voice instead of me telling what to do <laughs> yeah buddy anytime bro anytime i like it well be Wally, a road trip oh there you go there you go well wally thanks so much for coming on man this was a this was an awesome hour here getting the chance to hear your story and, and get to talk about your journey um throughout everything growing up in small town finishing off with uh leading the cheering section at your own night in, in <laughs> cardiff so <laughs> thanks uh, so much for coming on this was awesome yeah thanks for having me guys this was fun Max, nice to 